Let's give the Lord that hand clap of praise tonight. If you know he's worthy as you clap your hands, why don't you lift your voice? And one more time, let's magnify the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt his name together. Praise is a powerful thing when you begin to do it with somebody else. Amen. And there is a great atmosphere, a great presence of the Lord that's here. And it's because of the praise and worship that has gone on the last 30, 45 minutes. And I'm thankful to be in an atmosphere like we're in right now where anything can happen, where anything is possible, because that's the kind of God that we serve this evening. Amen. And it's an honor to be here with you this evening. I give honor to Brother and Sister Voskis and their family, and also to Bishop Wilson and Sister Wilson, and uh, give all of them honor tonight and all of you honor as well for being in the house of the Lord. You know, the Bible says that they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Now that's how Isaiah penned the verse. But if you and I penned the verse, we would have put it in the other direction. Because we would have started out by saying you walk first and then you run and eventually you fly. But I think Isaiah was trying to prove a point to us that anybody can fly with an eagle on a Sunday night service. Anybody can run on a Sunday night revival service. But the real measure of a Christian comes when you're walking every single day. Regardless of what you face, regardless of what you deal with, regardless of what the enemy throws in your direction, can you just keep walking? Can you just keep being faithful? And I feel the Holy Ghost in the house tonight, and I believe that the Lord uh, has a word that he wants to say in this house. Why don't we lift our hands one more time before we get into the sermon this evening? And as we lift our hands, why don't we join our voices together one more time? Lord, we thank you for the moving of your spirit. We thank you, Lord, because your spirit is evident that it's in this house. Lord, you said the wind bloweth where it listeth, and you hear the sounds thereof. And Lord, what we're experiencing right now is the evidence of the moving of your spirit. And God, I pray right now that your word would have free course in this house. In Jesus' name. My sermon to you tonight is this, with my face toward the enemy. With my face toward the enemy. And you may be seated. Thank you for standing. His name was Isaac Irwin Avery. He was born on December the 20th, 1828 at Swan Pond in Burke County, North Carolina. But he was also born into a lineage into a family of fighters. You see, Isaac Avery was the grandson of White Steel Avery, a fiery American Revolution war hero who served as the first attorney general of North Carolina and who had once been challenged to a duel by future president Andrew Jackson. Isaac Avery, along with his three brothers, would all serve during the Civil War. As a captain, Avery would command and lead the company of men who fought in the first battle of Bull Run and also in the Battle of the Seven Pines. Then in the summer of 1862, he would be promoted to colonel. When Brigadier General Robert F. Hope was wounded at the Battle of Chancellorville in May of 1863, it was Isaac Avery who would assume command of the brigade in time for the Gettysburg Campaign. The now 34-year-old Isaac Avery would then lead his troops forward on a wide sweep north and east of the borough of Gettysburg. But the fire of a nearby Union artillery near Corpse Hill would halt his advancement. Then in the early hours of the morning on July the 2nd, 
Isaac Avery, along with another brigade, would begin their full-out attack on Eastern Cemetery Hill. It was during this very attack when Isaac Avery would be struck in the neck by a musket ball and fall from his horse, bleeding badly and partially paralyzed on his entire right side. Several hours would pass until it would eventually be found by one of his own soldiers. And it was then, in the final moments of his life, when it happened, this three-star colonel, a man who had led multiple attacks and multiple battles, a man now unable to speak because of the wound in his neck and now unable to write because of the paralysis that had set in, a man knowing but he's just moments away from death desperately removes a piece of scratch paper from the pocket of that blood-soaked uniform. And this dying man, the history books tells us, takes a stick from the ground and begins to dip it in the very blood he's losing by the moment and scribbles the words on that piece of paper that would propel him into the halls of bravery. You see, ladies and gentlemen, the words that Isaac Avery wrote that day were, Major, tell my father, I died with my face toward the enemy. It has been since called etched in blood, the letter from the dead. Even after his death, it was General or Colonel A.C. Godwin who would take command of the brigade and then later speak of Avery by saying, in his death, the country lost one of her truest and bravest sons and the army one of its most brave officers. And ladies and gentlemen, while Isaac Avery was, yes, a brave and gallant soldier, I not only believe that it was the actions of this man that still causes him to be held in the highest of regard, but I believe it was the attitude he possessed in the final moments of his life that continues to astound war his historians today. I'm preaching about the resolve in the intestinal fortitude he had nearly moments before he closed his eyes for the final time. He said, Major, I've got one thing I want you to do. I've got one final request. I want you to tell my father I died with my face toward the enemy. You see, ladies and gentlemen, the fact is anybody can stay in the battle when they're winning. It's easy to keep fighting when everything's going your way but I've come to ask Potts Kemp the question tonight and that is can you keep fighting even when you find yourself wounded can you stay in the fight when you find yourself weary will you remain where you are when it feels like victory so far out of reach I believe that is the very reason why people still talk about Isaac Avery today because in the heat of the battle when he was wounded and when he was weary he never wavered but he stayed with his face toward the enemy and I've come compelled by the Holy Ghost to preach this service I've come to preach about that attitude I've come to preach about that mentality I've come to preach about the spirit Isaac Avery possessed that day on the battlefield I've come to preach about the letter from the dead something that was written by a dying man 160 years ago because the words he wrote that day on that piece of paper should become the very words that are pressed in our spirit today that we live with that mindset every single day of our life. In fact, it should become the motto for how we live our life because here's reality, ladies and gentlemen. There's gonna be days when you're tired of fighting. There's going to be days when you wish it were easier and you wish it was more convenient. There's going to be days when you are wounded and you are weary and you find yourself in a fight. But it's in those moments you've got to square your shoulders and plant your feet in the ground and say whatever comes my way, I'm not going to back up and I'm not going to back down and I'm not going to turn around. Can I preach to somebody tonight and tell you it is an attitude. You've got to live with every single day of your life. It is an attitude that says I refuse to surrender and I refuse to backslide. Isaac Avery had that determination. The determination that said I'm going to press on and I'm going to keep fighting because anybody can fight when they're winning but you've got to stay in the fight even when it feels like you're losing. We need that determination. 
like never before. We need it especially in the hour that you and I are living in right now. A spiritual declaration that says, I may be in a battle and I may be in a fight, but I, there may even be days when it feels like I'm losing more than I'm winning, but I've already made up my mind that I'm not going to quit and I'm not going to leave and I'm not going to turn around and I'm not going to throw in the towel. Can I tell everybody in this room tonight, you can be victorious if you want to be. And you can be triumphant if you choose to be. You've just got to make up your mind that whatever life brings me and whatever the enemy throws in my direction, I've already settled the issue. I'm going to face it with my face toward the enemy. And I've come to tell somebody in this house, you've got to have that mindset. You've got to have that mentality. A mentality that says, whatever hell throws in my direction. See, this is exactly what the prophet Isaiah is telling us in Isaiah chapter 50 and verse number 7. Now in context, this is a messianic prophecy concerning Jesus. It was a prophecy, mind you, given almost 800 years before Jesus walked the earth. But the prophet said, for the Lord God will help me. Therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore, here it is, I have set my face like a flint and I know that I shall not be ashamed. That word flint literally means a rock or something that's unmovable, something that's unwavering. And the context of the verse is... It speaks of our Messiah's unwavering determination to persevere through the excruciating task that was set before him. When Jesus walked this earth, he knew they were going to betray him. When Jesus walked the earth, they, he knew they were going to spit on him and wag the head and beat him at the post and put him on a cross and kill him. But he said, before I ever walk the earth, I've already settled the issue. My face is set like a flint. And I've come to tell somebody in this house, if you're going to make it. If you're going to live for God, it's going to take that unshakable, unwavering determination. A determination that says, whatever I've got to face, whatever I've got to fight, I will live my life with my face toward the enemy. Now, we, we've been around here long enough to know that you know that I've got three boys. <laughs> Three boys that are all boys, Brother Wilson. I mean, they're Mississippi boys through and through. I've got a couple of them back there right now probably chewing, the, chewing something up. I don't know what they're doing. But all three of my boys, they just love to wrestle. They love to fight. They, they love to get in the floor and just be rough with each other. And I don't know how in the world they became to be that way. I blame my dad because it got passed down to me and then I pass it down to them. But Easton's back there somewhere and Easton, he just turned six years old a, a couple months ago. But Easton had about a two-year stretch with the Voskis where it didn't matter who Easton met. It didn't matter if Easton knew you or if he didn't know you. Easton always had a question that he asked every individual that he come across. Nice gentleman, nice lady would come up to Easton, stick their hand out, try to shake his hand and say, how are you, buddy? Easton always replied with that question with a question of his own. You want to fight? <laughs> now, you laugh about it because it's comical, but Easton was dead serious. Easton was like, I'll shake your hand, but we're going to throw down after I shake your hand. The fact is, he just loves to wrestle. He loves to fight. And while we can share stories like that that are comical and while we can hear stories like that because, and we can laugh because they're humorous. Can I tell you that there is a spiritual application and there is a spiritual principle that we can get from stories like that because here's the reality. If we're going to make it in these last days it's going to take that kind of determination. Listen, I, I'm privileged to go to a lot of churches uh, and I see a lot of people come to God and they get baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost uh, and I know I know in my mind uh, that every pastor wishes he could go to that new convert and tell them uh, that now that you've made up your mind to live for God, 
Now that you've repented and been baptized and got the Holy Ghost, I know pastors wish they could tell all those new converts, now it's going to be so much easier and life is going to be smooth sailing from here on out. But the fact is we know that's not the truth because the moment you make up your mind to live for God, that's the moment the real fight begins. Can I be honest tonight and tell you that if none of us in this room have some sort of spiritual grit or some sort of determination, we're probably not going to make it. I can say that because living for God at times is a fight. In fact, there's days it feels like a dog fight and you're going to wake up some mornings and you've got to fight your way to church. And there's going to be days when you've got to fight for your family and you've got to fight for your marriage and you've got to fight for your joy. There's people in this room right now. You're fighting with everything inside of you because there's going to be days that you've got to fight for your peace and you've got to fight for your praise. If you're in this room right now and it feels like you've been in a fight a long time, it just comes with the territory because we've got something that hell doesn't want us to have. We've got a salvation that's valuable. I told, a, I told a young man sometime in Florida a few weeks ago, he said, I've only been in church six months. He said, I've been in and out of rehab. I've lost jobs. I've done this. I've done that. He said, I thought it was a struggle until I come to God. And he said, it feels like ever since I started coming to this church and I got baptized and received the Holy Ghost, it feels like hell's turned it up seven times hotter. And I looked back at that young man and I said, what kind of salvation would you have if the devil lets you have it without any kind of opposition? I said, what kind of salvation do you think you would have if the devil lets you get it and he didn't fight you at all? Can I tell everybody in this room, we've got something valuable. It is a treasure, an earthen vessel. And the moment you make up your mind to do right and live for God, that's when the battle really starts. Maybe this is why 2 Timothy 2 and 3 tells us that thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. I believe that it was the Bible's way of telling us that there's going to be days when you find yourself in spiritual warfare. He's simply telling us in Timothy that if you get knocked down, stand back up and keep fighting. Just take hell's best shot and get back in the fight. But whatever you do, don't stop fighting. It was God and God alone who in inspired holy men of old who tells us in Ephesians chapter 6 to take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand stand therefore with your loins girt about with truth and the breastplate of righteousness your feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace above all taking the shield of faith where you can quench the darts of the wicked and the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit Did you catch what Paul said? He said, if you're going to be able to withstand in that evil day, you better dress yourself for battle. But here's what's amazing about all the armor that I just read. All the armor that I just read, every piece of armor that Paul lists to the Ephesian church only covers the front. And there is no armor to cover your back. Because I believe it was God's way of saying that when you get in this thing and you make up your mind to live for God, I'm not going to cover your back because I never intend for somebody to start walking with me and then turn around and walk away. God said, I'm not worried about covering your back because you were not created to surrender and you were not created to retreat. You've just got to get dressed for battle. You've just got to wake up some days and realize it's going to be a fight. But if hell wants a fight, I'm going to give hell what he wants. You've got to be able to dress yourself if you're going to be able to withstand don't forget it was God and God alone who tells us this charge I commit unto thee Timothy according to the prophecies which went on before thee that thou mightest war a good warfare he then says in case you forget I'm going to come back five chapters later in 1 Timothy 6 and remind you to fight the good fight of faith lay hold on eternal life and to belabor the point he comes back in the next epistle 2 Timothy and says no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him whose called him to be a soldier time after time 
after time. God belabors the point. I want you to get it in your mind. I've called you to fight. And if you're not willing to fight, and if you're not willing to fight through some things, you're probably not going to make it. It's a revelation that we all better get a hold of. In fact, that's a reason why some people never make it. Because it's a revelation they never get a hold of. They come to God and think everything's going to be easy once they make their mind up to live for God. But you've got to come into this thing with a mindset that says, whatever hell throws against me or my family, if I've got to fight through some things, I'm willing to fight through it. Because if you don't know how to fight through some things, you're probably not going to make it. We better nail it down more than ever before. In the midst of our screaming and our shouting, in the midst of our preaching and our praise, in the midst of our reaching and revelation, at the end of the day, God called us to fight. He called us not to the playground. He called us to the battleground. Oh, I know. Ecclesiastes, Solomon in all of his wisdom tells us that there, there is a time of peace. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for those times of peace. I'm thankful for those times when we can kind of lay the sword down, take the helmet off, and rest. Even Jesus in his ministry in the New Testament at times pulled the disciples away and said, come rest a while. Let's take a moment and have some peace and tranquility. But at the same time, while Solomon tells us that there will be times of peace, I cannot put a period there because he also tells us that there's going to be times of war. Just as sure as there will be days when I can lay the sword down, there's going to be days when I better be willing to pick the sword back up. There will be days when we find ourselves like Samson. Surrounded by a thousand Philistines. Men who want to do nothing less than to take his life. But the Bible says Samson picks up a jawbone of a donkey and he begins to kill the enemy one at a time. In fact, the Bible uses the phrase heaps upon heaps, heaps upon heaps. Ladies and gentlemen, here's this man, Samson. I know he's a great warrior in the Bible. I know he takes the gates off the city and he catches foxes and sets their tails on fire. I know Samson is a great man of war, but you cannot tell me in the midst of that battle he never got weary and he never got tired because the Bible says when the battle is over he drops the jawbone but some time passes he looks back down and there's water in the jawbone or there is a spring that begins to come forth but ladies and gentlemen the point is even though Samson was weary and even though Samson was tired and even though Samson probably got tired of swinging that jawbone he went into that battle with a made up mind I'm not going to quit and I'm not going to give up but I'm going to stay in the battle with my face toward the end me. And what the church needs now more than ever before is we need some Eleazars. I'm talking about men that says I'll grab a hold of a sword and I'll keep swinging until every battle's won. I'm talking about a spirit of Eleazar when they got to pry your hands off the sword because there's something inside of you that says I'll fight, I'll pray, I'll fast, I'll do whatever I've got to do. But there are some things... It will not come without a fight. What about David? If going through a valley is not bad enough, if being in a low time in his life is not bad enough, to add insult to injury, here comes Goliath, the champion of the Philistine army. Goliath was undoubtedly a legend of war because the Bible calls him the champion. He was the representative. He was the man that represented the entire army of the Philistines. But here's what's amazing about the entire story. Goliath was not David's battle. Somebody else should have fought Goliath. It should have been Saul standing in that valley fighting Goliath. Because who better to fight a giant than a giant himself? Saul stood head and shoulders above everybody else. Saul was the king of Israel. But where is Saul? He's hiding in the tent. Where are the men? Where are the leaders? Hiding in the tent. 
David's having to fight a giant that somebody else should have taken care of. David is fighting a battle that Saul should have been willing to fight and the men of Israel should have been willing to fight. And how many times do you and I have to fight giants and battles that somebody else should have already taken care of? Can I hit a pause button right here and tell everybody in this room? I know my kids, the older they get, they're going to have battles of plenty to fight. There's going to be no shortages of battles that our children have to fight. But this daddy's already made up his mind that I'm not going to add one more Goliath to the list. Because if daddy can take care of it today, I'm not going to procrastinate and put it off on my kids. There's some things I'm willing to fight and take care of today. If I've got to pray more, if, my, if it means my kids doesn't have to deal with it, I'll pray more. I'll fast more. Ladies and gentlemen, can I tell you the tragedy about 1 Samuel is David is fighting a man. Somebody else should have fought. But they're hiding in the tent. But while they ran away from the battle, my Bible says David ran into the valley to meet Goliath because David had a made-up mind. What others run away from, I'm willing to run toward. This is why I believe God called David for more than just being a good singer and songwriter. I don't believe God called David to be the man that he would become just because he could write music and write songs and play good and sing good. Oh, I know the Bible calls him the sweet psalmist of Israel. But David is also the same man that says he teacheth my hands to war. Can I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, God looked at David and said, I like David because he's not just a praiser and a worshiper, but he's a fighter. Because the women of Israel come and sing the song. Saul has killed his thousands, but David is ten thousands. I believe the reason why God looked at David and said, I'll choose him. Because David understood the balance between playing a harp with one hand and swinging a sword with the other hand. David understood the balance uh, that there's some things you can praise your way through uh, but then there's other things you gotta fight your way through uh, and there's some battles you will not win uh, as long as you're holding a harp, David. Can I tell somebody, I feel my Holy Ghost here. Can I tell somebody right now, I thank God for the shouting and the praise and the worship. I preach it like everybody else. But at the end of the day, there's going to be sometimes you've got to lay the heart down and you've got to pick up a sword and say, I'm willing to fight and I'm willing to go to war. Maybe this is why Isaiah said, for every battle of the warrior, is with confused noise and garments rolled in blood. Do you get what the prophet said? He said every battle of the warrior is with confused noise, praise and worship, and garments rolled in blood. Somebody that's also willing to get their hands dirty and fight. Oh, we can come in here and we can run the aisles with the best of them. But where are we when hell knocks on our front door looking for a fight? Where are we when hell comes after our kids and hell comes after our marriages and hell comes after the revival God's promised us? Ladies and gentlemen, you've got to understand the balance between a harp and a sword. Yes, the battle is with confused noise, praise and worship, but you better be willing to roll your garments up. You better be willing to roll your sleeves up and say if it gets bloody, it's just going to get bloody. And I believe that's why God looked at David and said, I like that about David. See, Saul wonders why David is willing to fight a man that nobody else in Israel is willing to fight. David said, oh, there was a day when I was tending my father's sheep. And here come a lion out and took one from the flock. Now, David, it's only one. One out of dozens, maybe hundreds. Can you really notice if one's gone? Out of a hundred? Is it really worth risking your life over one lamb? But David understands this about the lion. He may only get one today. But he's going to want three tomorrow. 
And he's going to want five the next time. And David understands that if I compromise with the lion today, he's going to come back wanting more the next time. And so David had that mentality that says, it may be something that you don't believe that's worth fighting over. But David said it's worth fighting over, even if it's just one lamb. We are living in a culture, we are living in a generation that says marriages aren't worth fighting over and the, 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 the future of our children are not worth fighting over and the revival's not worth fighting over. But I say let them shake their head and let them walk away. But I'm preaching to an apostolic church tonight that's got the revelation that there are some things in life that are worth fighting for. And if I'm going to have revival, and if I'm going to have a move of God, and if we're going to have a harvest, you better be ready. Here comes a lion, and here comes a bear, but you've got to be willing to fight for it, David. Because at the end of the day, I believe we're going to be known more for the fight in our spirit rather than the talent in our hands. See, we marvel at Simon Peter, don't we? Simon Peter is that guy that's always finding himself in trouble. You know, he's the one that is ready to take on the entire empire when Jesus begins to tell them of all the things he's got to endure. And Jesus is like, you're going to run out of time before you run out of soldiers to fight. But Peter's always just throwing himself in the heat of the battle. He was the one that when Judas comes in the garden and betrays Jesus with a kiss... There's Simon Peter pulling that sword out. And I know we've heard a lot of preaching about that. But we've got to remember that Peter is not a swordsman. Peter is a fisherman. He's more familiar casting a line than he is swinging a blade. So I don't believe that he cut off that guy's ear because he's so accurate. I think the guy ducked in time just to lose an ear instead of his whole head. But we look at that and we marvel because Simon Peter is always willing to fight when push comes to shove. But can I tell you, that's not an accident, nor is it a coincidence when you begin to study it out. Because when you begin to study those 12 disciples, you find out that 11 of the 12 disciples came from the region of Galilee. That is important because the Galilean region was given as an inheritance to the tribes of Zebulon and Naphtali. That is important because their single claim to fame was when God went to war in the book of Judges, Zebulon and Naphtali were the only two tribes who stayed in fault. In fact, it was God himself who said, Zebulon and Naphtali stayed with me. They jeoparded their lives even unto death. When everybody else walked away, when everybody else dropped the sword, it was Zebulon and Naphtali who stayed there and fought with God. And so God looks at those two tribes and says, I'm going to give you the region of Galilee as an inheritance. And so when God walks the earth as the man Jesus, it would appear to me that when Jesus got ready to choose his disciples, he said, I'm going to Galilee for one reason. That's where the fighters are. That's where the fighters come from. Can I tell this congregation that the New Testament church was built on the backs of 11 men who were not afraid to fight? And can I tell Bethlehem, Mississippi, the revival and the harvest and the outpouring, it's going to be worth every battle. It's going to be worth every fight because if we're going to have it, we better be willing to fight. I'm preaching, I know, to a congregation of people this evening who knows what it's like to be in a battle from time to time. In fact, none of us in this room right now have gotten to where we are in God without a fight. Whether you've been in church five minutes or 50 years, you haven't gotten to where you are right now without some sort of opposition, without some sort of affliction, without some sort of spiritual battle. And I'm preaching to people in this room tonight. Maybe people that's in this house, you're weary and you're battle-worn and it feels like it's always something. Anybody besides me ever prayed that, God? You get over this, here comes this. You get over that, here comes that. Every one of us in this room carries scars. In fact, some of us are bleeding right now 
because of the battle we're in right now. But I've come with good news to tell everybody in this house, I know you're weary, and I know you're battle-worn, and I know it feels like it's always something. I know we're in a fight, but I've come with good news to tell everybody in this room, the fight is fixed. I know we're in a war, but the war has already been predetermined. I know we're in a struggle, and I know we're in a fight, and I know it feels like every day it's something else. Every day is a new challenge. Every week is a different battle. But I've come to tell every weary soul and every battle-worn saint in this room that it's no time to dip our head, and it's no time to lay the sword down. I've come to tell you that the fight is fixed, the war has already been predetermined, and the church will be triumphant. The enemy that we're fighting has already lost the war. We just sometimes have to be reminded because we're in the grind every single day that it's sometimes hard to remember all of this has already been taken care of. I know what it's like to go through battles. I know what it's like to be in the middle of battles and not want to go preach. Not want to walk to a pulpit, Brother Wilson. Want to stay in my hotel room. I know what it's like, and you do as well. Weary, tired, frustrated. I, I didn't come to preach pretty tonight. I, I want to minister more than I preach. I know what it's like to drive 12 hours and have to make myself put my suit on and go to church. I'm just going to be transparent right now. I'm never transparent behind a pulpit, but here it is. My family and I went through about a three and a half year stretch where it was just something, and then it was something else, and then here comes something else. Family members going into hospitals, losing a sister-in-law, niece having brain seizures, other niece being born with all kinds of possibilities of birth defects, my wife having seizures, falling out. It's just one thing after another. One battle after another battle. One fight after another fight. You finally get done with this, here comes another one. I'm talking to people right now. And there were times in that three and a half year stretch where I told God twice, I'm done. I've only made this public once. I'm going to make it tonight. There were two times in that three and a half years, Brother Wilson, that I told the Lord, here's my card. I can't preach anymore. Because how can I try to push people up? How can I try to pull people up when I feel like I'm beneath them? We all know what it's like for it to be one battle after another and one fight after another and limp our way to church and limp our way back home and then drag ourselves to church and then drag ourselves back home. But in the midst of all those battles, I've got to remind myself and I had to remind myself today that we may be in a fight and it may be hard sometimes and it may be more convenient to quit than it is to stay in the battle. But I've got to remind myself and I've come to remind some weary hearts in this room that the fight is fixed, ladies and gentlemen, and the war's already been predetermined and the the enemy that we're battling already knows his fate is sealed. Anybody ever read the back of the book and you know how it ends? Can I tell you God didn't wait to the end of the book to let us know how it ends? No, I know we talk about it and he does. We know the dragon's cast down because Revelation teaches us that. But God is so God that he said, I'm not going to wait until 66 books with Austin to let you know you win. I'm going to tell you in the first book. In fact, I'm going to wait three whole chapters until I let you know the fight is fixed. 
The serpent beguiles Eve. Adam and Eve eat of the fruit, and God begins to place out curses. Adam, you're gonna know, you're gonna earn labor by the sweat of your brow. Eve, you're gonna know the pain of childbirth. But in Genesis chapter three, God looks at the serpent and says, "Because you've done this, you're cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly you're gonna go, and dust are you gonna eat all the days of your life." God looks at that serpent and says, your diet will consist of dust. Man was made from the dust of the earth. That's why ever since the garden until now, the enemy's been trying to devour us and destroy us because the diet of the enemy is dust and we're made of dust. God was simply saying, what you've done today isn't just a one-time deal. You're going to try to devour and tear down and destroy, but here comes the promise. I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and between her seed and your seed. You may cruise his heel. You may bruise his heel. But that same heel is going to crush your head. Three chapters into the first book of the Bible. God spoils everything. It's already fixed. It's already been predetermined. The church is going to be triumphant. The church is going to be victorious. We're going to make it. Because God let us know. In fact, when God gets ready to wrap all this up, Brother Tucker, he's not even going to do the dirty work himself. I'm going to send one angel with one chain. He's going to bind you and throw you into a bottomless pit for a thousand years. If one angel without the Holy Ghost can do that, what can a church full of people in Potts Camp that have the Holy Ghost do? In fact, in that day, Lucifer will be exposed for who he really is. Is this the one that caused the nations to tremble? He's going to be exposed for what he really is. A defeated, fallen, falling angel. Let me put it in our vernacular. You mean this is the one that almost caused me to leave the church? You mean this is the devil that almost caused me to leave my marriage? You mean this is the devil that almost caused me to backslide? You mean this is the devil that almost convinced me that nobody loved me and I might as well put a gun to my head? Can I tell you, he's going to be exposed one day because he's already been conquered. I'm preaching to some mamas and some daddies. I know it's a struggle every day trying to raise kids in this environment. I'm preaching to some young adults and some young people and young children. I know it's a challenge, but hell's already been conquered and the devil's already been destroyed. I've come to preach hoping to somebody right now. You can't worship and you can't praise because hell is convincing you that you might as well leave and quit the church. But the devil's a liar. The devil's already been conquered. You've just got to remind yourself. I'll tell you where the devil gets his power from. He gets his power from us. Out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, you hear me right now. There is a lying spirit. It's a spirit of intimidation is what it is. Why, why do you think, boy, I'm so far off my notes, but here we are. Why do you think Nebuchadnezzar looked at those three boys and said, if you don't worship, I'm going to make it seven times hotter. I'm going to give you one more chance. Now, I'm not the, the brightest guy in the room by... Any means. I went to Walnut. <laughs> How do you make fire hotter? I know there's different, but think about it. If you tell me you're going into a furnace, I mean, yeah, that's hot enough. It's going to kill you. It's going to do the job. But he said, I'm going to make it seven times hotter. He was trying to intimidate them to bow down and worship. Why do you think the Bible goes into such great length telling us the size and the dimensions of Goliath's armor? Staffs like a weaver's beam, coat of mail, all the shekels it tells us it weighs. It's a spirit of intimidation. Look how big he is. Look how 
victorious he's been. It's a spirit of intimidation. It's a lying spirit uh, that'll try to convince us that we might as well quit uh, and we might as well leave the church uh, and God doesn't love us uh, and nobody cares about us. And we're just another check mark on the roll. And we're just another tithing envelope in the pot. Can I tell you, it's a lying spirit from the devil himself that'll try to convince you that the church doesn't love you and nobody cares about you. It's because he already knows. He's already been conquered. And he wants to take you down with him. But I've come to tell some people in this room, the fight is fixed. And the war's already been determined. You've just got to remind yourself. Here it is. Even though the fight is fixed, you still have to stay in the fight to win. Now, I, I like boxing. I like UFC a little bit. Just a little bit. There, there's, a, there's a thing called fixing fights that's been around ever since boxing came around. And for whatever reason why the fight is fixed, it just happens. But this is what I've learned about a fight being fixed. Brother Austin, they can come to your dress room and tell you, hey, it's in your favor. He can outland you two to one, but you're going to get the decision. And even though the judges are on your side, you've still got to put the gloves on. You've still got to walk down the ramp. You've still got to get in the ring, and you've still got to fight. Even though it's fixed in your favor, if you don't show up, Or if you quit, the judges can't help you. Can I tell everybody in this room, I know how to be victorious. You've got to stay in the fight. It doesn't get any deeper or more theological than that. I know how to win. I know how to be victorious. I know how my family can make it. I know how our church can survive, thrive and not survive. It may be a fight and it may be fixed, but all I've got to do is just keep punching and keep fighting because there's coming a day. I said there's coming a day when every fight and every battle is going to be worth it. Maybe this is why Jesus tells us in Matthew 24 that he that shall endure unto the end, same is going to be saved. Well, I don't want to rock the theological boat, but none of us are saved right now. Now, we've, we've, in, we've obeyed the gospel. Jesus said you can't see it or enter into it. We've done all that. We've got everything checked off. We're living right. We're coming to church. We're being faithful. But Jesus said if you're going to make it, you better be willing to endure some things. Jesus said, if you're still here in the end, there's a pretty good chance you're going to make it. Because this battle we're in is not a sprint. The race is not to the swiftest. It's a marathon, ladies and gentlemen. It's going to take endurance. There is a thing known as the fight or flight response. It's also known as the acute stress response. It refers to the psychological reaction that occurs when in the presence of something mentally or physically terrifying, this response is triggered by the release of hormones that prepare your body either to run away from the problem or to stay and deal with the problem. And this is, what's, is what makes Psalm 78 and 9 so staggering. And the Bible said the children of Ephraim being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. They were armed and had everything they needed to be victorious, but they still chose to turn and walk away. The children of Ephraim, Ephraim himself was an ancestor of Joshua. Joshua the conqueror, Joshua, the man that took the mantle and led Israel into Canaan land. He is synonymous with victory, synonymous with conquering. That was their lineage. That was their heritage. And even though they were armed, they dropped it and they walked away. 
Can I tell everybody in this room that just like Ephraim, we too are armed with everything we need to make it. God has given us a church. God's given us pastors and leaders. He's given us his word. He's given us his spirit, his blood. And if we don't make it, if Adrian Sanford does not make it, I will have no excuse. But I've come to tell everybody in this house how to be victorious. Just stay in the fight. Because you can win the fight without winning every round. I said you can win the fight even if you get knocked down. Why don't we lift our hands right now all over this house? I wonder right now as our hands are lifted. Come on, I wonder right now as we begin to talk to the Lord. There can be some people in this house. People that may have every excuse in the world to quit. Here's the reality, ladies and gentlemen. If we, if we look hard enough for a reason to quit, there's plenty of them. If we, if we look for a reason to quit, if we look for an excuse, there's plenty of them. In fact, we live in a generation right now where it's easy to quit. But it's going to take a mindset and a determination. It says whatever I face and whatever my family has to fight, whatever our church has to battle, At the end of the day, it's going to be worth it. So we stand all over this house and they can make their way to the keyboard. John chapter 6 has a very eye-opening verse tucked away. John chapter 6 and verse number 66 John 666, the Bible says this, and from that moment, from that day, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. When they heard it was going to be tough, when they heard life was not always going to be easy, they turned and they walked away. But Jesus then said unto the twelve, Will ye go away also? Then Simon Peter answered him. Then the fighter spoke up. Said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Can I tell everybody in this room that once you've experienced what we've experienced in this room, there's nothing else outside these walls that'll satisfy what we feel right now. Once you have experienced that taste of the world to come, there's nothing else out there that'll be able to do for you what God does in here. Peter was simply looking at Jesus that day, Brother Voskis, and said, I don't care who leaves. I don't care who turns and walks away. I don't care who drops their sword and abandons the fight. You can count on one thing. I'm still going to be here. Because there is no plan B. There are no other options when it comes to living for God. I wish I could tell everybody in this house, it's always going to be easy. It's always going to be convenient. Fact is, we all know it's not. Standing right over there during worship service, I felt the Lord kind of just drop something in my spirit. Tonight, there needs to be some anchors dropped. Anchors that are going to hold us secure. Anchors that are going to keep us anchored. When every wind begins to blow and tries to knock us away. I want you to grab somebody right now by the hand before we make the transition. I want you to grab somebody by the hand or put an arm around a shoulder. Whatever is convenient. 
And I want you to look them in the eyes and I want you to tell them this. You can make it if you choose to make it. You can make it if you want to make it. Now I know there's nothing deep and profound about that, but you don't know who needs to hear that in this room right now. You don't know who come to church just barely holding on by a thread. The enemy telling them it's not worth it. It's not worth the battle. It's not worth the fight. But I'm telling everybody in this room, you can make it. And you can be victorious if you choose to be. I wonder right now, that hand that you hold and that shoulder that you got your arm around, I wonder right now if you could step out of your pews and come to this front right now. I'm telling you, there's about to be strength that God pours out in this house. There's about to be encouragement that God allows to flow from this room. I'm telling you, just like the waters begin to flow from the altar in Ezekiel, I'm telling you, there's strength and encouragement that's about to flow from this altar out into the body. Come on, why don't somebody just start praying in the Holy Ghost right now? Come on, there's marriages in this room right now that are under attack. There's children, their minds, young people, their minds are under attack right now. If we could look through the eyes of the Spirit right now, we would be astounded at the battles warfare that's going on behind closed doors I've come to tell you just keep fighting keep swinging keep praying come on as they begin to play and sing right now I wonder if we could fill this house with our prayers with our words God, I pray right now. I pray you would blanket this sanctuary. God, I pray that you'd cover this sanctuary from side to side and front to back. Every weary soul, every troubled mind, every young person, every young adult, every married couple, every elder. Come on, somebody ought to tap into that right now. Come on, don't wait for them to sing. You ought to tap into what you feel right now. Ah, there it is. Come on, if you see somebody praying, why don't you pray with them right now? There's a ministering angel that just stepped in this house. I'm preaching to people right now, you're bleeding and you're wounded. But God's coming to bandage you right now.
somebody close to you just pray you have the power to bless or to curse 
Why don't you pray a blessing? Why don't you use your power to pray strength and blessing and help and hope? Oh, thank God for the word tonight. Thank God for the fact that the outcome is already determined. That's right. Pray one for another. In the name of the Lord Jesus. God, I speak a blessing over your people tonight. God, I release strength in the name of Jesus. By the word of the Spirit, I release strength. Strength in mind, strength in spirit, strength in body. I rebuke the spirit of discouragement and intimidation and frustration. God, I release the gift of faith to operate by the power of the Holy Ghost. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Brother Sanford, thank you for coming and preaching to us. Amen. He and I have not discussed at all what I preached last weekend. He just quoted about half of it, though. Amen. Thank you, Brother Sanford. Amen. You ought to leave this place encouraged, knowing that the great God that we serve has already determined the outcome of your battle. Isn't that awesome? Amen. Isn't that awesome? Praise God. Amen. I'm going to ask you if you will. Brother Nathan Batson that preached for us Memorial Day Sunday night just lost his father tonight after long sickness. And so uh, it, it being Father's Day, of course, it's never going to be easy, but but uh, but it's, it's a little more difficult. So pray for Brother Nathan Batson and his family, his brother, his mother, Bishop Batson. It was a, a great man of God. The first youth convention I ever went to in 1989 before you all were not all of y'all, but, but some of you. I'm going to turn this way. He preached one of the greatest messages I've ever heard called Last But Not Least. Talking about David being the last of Jesse's sons, but he wasn't the least. And he preached that the last generation of the church was not going to be the least generation of the church. That it was going to be a powerful, powerful anointed church. And so please be in prayer, if you will, for Bishop Batson's family and New Life Church in Nashville and uh, that God would touch them. Why don't we just do that right now? Lord, we thank you. God, I want to personally, for my, for, my own, for my own life, I want to thank you for the ministry of Bishop Jack Batson. The times that I've heard him preach, that he's ministered to me, that he stood and preached with boldness. God, I pray for my friend, Brother Nathan, his brother David, and I pray for Sister Batson and the New Life Church, God. I pray that you give them strength. I pray, God, that you would minister to them. God, I pray, Lord, let an anointing and a mantle from this elder be passed down to the young men and the young women of that church. And, God, that they will carry that mantle through. I pray your blessing and encouragement and comfort in the name of Jesus. And, God, I pray for everyone in this place tonight. God, that has been ministered to by this word. I pray, God, let there be a peace that settles over their spirit to know that they are not in this fight alone, but, God, that you are with them. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. God bless you. To all of our guests, we'd like all of our guests to join us in the discipleship room. If you go through the hallway in the prayer room on the right, we have some snacks, and we'd like to connect with you, all of our new members, all of our guests. Please go to the discipleship room. God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.